Hello, everyone. Welcome to Power Up Women, our cross-generational, cross-cultural conversation about leadership, power, gender, and social justice. I'm Ann Doyle. And I'm Dana Harvey. This month, we are celebrating reaching an important podcasting milestone, over 100 episodes of Power Up Women. So we thought we'd celebrate by sharing some of our most popular episodes from the past three years. And it was no surprise that our episodes about what dogs teach us about leadership made the top 10 of our greatest hits, Dana. So whether you are a new dog owner or a veteran dog lover, as Dana and I are, and you're looking for new insights, you will learn something from this fascinating conversation I had with breeder and trainer Cheryl Carlson. Yeah, she's a highly regarded dog whisperer and owner of Share Car Kennels and Training Center. Cheryl explains why our dogs need us to be their leaders, not just their best friends. We hope you all enjoy it. Oh yeah. You know, the best thing that I can tell people is that dogs really do want to have a strong leader. I feel that um, a lot of people are more concerned about being a friend to their dog than being a leader. And you would, the, the sigh of relief and contentment that you find from a dog who, who says, oh, thank God, I've got somebody who is actually a leader. They look forward to somebody who's strong like that. They want that in their lives. And when you provide that for a dog, you're not only doing yourself a favor, but you're doing the dog a favor as well. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Powering Up, a cross-generational conversation about leadership and power through a female lens. I'm Ann Doyle, author of Powering Up, How America's Women Achievers Become Leaders. My co-host and niece, Monica Doyle, has the week off. So our topic today is all about dogs and our relationship with dogs. And you might think this is an unusual topic, maybe, for a podcast about women's leadership and empowerment. But I really believe that dogs can be empowering influences in our lives. And I kind of think of them maybe even as sort of leadership mentors. And our guest today, Cheryl Carlson, one of the top experts in the field of dog training and the founder of Share Car Kennels in St. John's, Michigan, is a perfect person to test my theories. Welcome, Cheryl. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> Good. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Cheryl before we get into all this. Uh, she has over 40 years of expertise in every area of dog training, and Cheryl is really one of the best-known experts in her industry. So I'm thrilled to have her with us because whether it's training dogs for police work, uh, as family companions and personal protection, or even as emotional assistance dogs, Cheryl has done it all. She's also a judge and a breeder of high-quality German Shepherds and Dutch Shepherds, which is how I got to know Cheryl uh, with my dog, my incredible German Shepherd dog, Brava. So Cheryl, let's just start with the fundamentals. What would you say is the key to having a well-trained dog? Well, the best thing is to make sure that the method fits the dog. 
what we're seeing a lot of times now is a rise in uh, purely positive training, which started, you know, back in the day with a marine biologist who uh, came up with a, the clicker idea of training, which is purely motivational and it's called uh, in other circles operant conditioning. Uh, when that happened, you know, they found that they could really train marine mammals very well with it. And a lot of people tried to then use that with dogs with a lot of success. However, dogs are not um, marine mammals. And some <laughs> dogs do need, you know, uh, element of um, correction. So um, you're, I mean, my, my brother was a big fan of a clicker, and I guess it worked well with his uh, golden retriever. But um, you're, mm-hmm. that's not the way you taught me to train my German Shepherd. Yep. Uh, we're finding that um, even with uh, what we consider purpose-bred dogs. So a purpose-bred dog is a dog that was bred on purpose um, because his parents have certain qualities that we desire. Mm-hmm. When you're dealing with a rescue animal, that dog wasn't purpose-bred. He was bred by accident. Um, somehow uh, he he came to be and there wasn't any genetic choosing uh, for that animal so many times you find a very very strong difference in personality between um, a purebred German Shepherd and uh, even a rescued German Shepherd mix Mm -hmm. well when you and I started talking about this um, you were telling me about, uh, you know, it's just as much about the, the trainer, the person, as it is about the dog. And um, that comes down a lot to, I think, leadership qualities. I mean, you were talking about confidence. Yes. The, you know, so many, so many times, you know, we want our dog to behave, not necessarily for us, but for people that are watching. <laughs> So people start to get very nervous and very, oh, I don't want the neighbors to think my dog is is ill-trained. I don't want the the people walking down the street to be afraid of my dog. Mm -hmm. So I find a lot of the focus to being outward. Uh, What do people think about my dog? As opposed to somebody saying to me, I want my dog to come when called. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and um, and what what about you were talking about this purely positive stuff, uh, which I guess is never ever correcting a dog. Um, yep, people are uh, afraid of judge, being judged by others being for correcting judged, your dog. Yeah. What's your opinion about that? Well, it's a, it's the very same thing with some people. You could uh, very possibly have a society uh, where all the people did everything that they should because that was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. They didn't need reward. However, even in our society of humans, we have to have a form of punishment. If you run a red light, you get a ticket. So in the dog world, it's exactly the same. There are some dogs that can do fairly well with just understanding what he needs to do to get a positive reaction. But there are many dogs, just like there are many people, that need an element of, well, I better not do that because... This is going to be the consequence. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not talking about hitting dogs. Oh, of course not. No, in uh, most of the time when people are talking about correction a dog, correcting mm-hmm. a dog, we're basically talking about applying any sort of touch or physical pressure around the neck. Now, why is the neck important? You know, we'll see some of these other methods where 
somebody puts a halty on the dog or the gentle leader that goes around the dog's head. Right. The neck has always been traditionally where the mother dog, when the puppies are in the nest box, will correct or move or um, confine the puppy. So if she wants to move her puppy, for example, mm-hmm. she grabs it by the, ba- by the back of the neck. Mm-hmm. The puppy learns that, oh, I better, this is mom, she's picking me up, and he just kind of goes along with it, where if she picked him up by the tail or the leg, mm-hmm. he protests quite a bit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So when uh, we go and put a collar on a dog, or if we give any sort of a correction, you know, that's physically around the dog's neck, either with a choke chain or even with a prone collar, mm-hmm. we're mimicking what the mother dog would have done, and the dog understands right away, almost at an instinctual level, that that was a negative, that Mm -hmm. that was a correction given to them by us. Mm -hmm. You know, and you mentioned a prong collar. Um, I use um, a a prong collar on Brava when I'm training her, my German Shepherd, and, um, but there was a place where I took her occasionally for daycare where they would not allow you to walk in the door with one of those. So, uh, and I don't go there anymore, but uh, does that get to finding the the right training, I guess, for your kind of dog? Is that what that's about? Yes, because if you prefer... Uh, to only work with one kind of a dog, uh, that's what a, a trainer or a facility, um, like the one you mentioned, um, should do. They only want dogs that can be taught or dealt with in a positive way. That would just be like saying, I'm having a school for children, but I'm only going to have a school for gifted children. Totally okay, <laughs> uh-huh. but under, un- unfortunately, not all of us have that kind of a dog, or even that kind of a child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to um, get into a little bit of your background, because um, I'm sure you must have been, as I was, a dog-crazy little girl. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your path. Um, what brought you to the level you are today in terms of competing, breeding, judging, and now training others? What's been really nice about uh, about my whole career is that I've always been able to do what I love, uh, mm-hmm. and I think that that's so important for everybody, no matter what they what they really want to do is what they should do. You know, I hear so many people going, oh, I would love to do what you do, but I'm, you know, working in a factory, I'm doing this, and I hate it. And I think to myself, I don't want to spend the, mo- the largest part of my life hating what I do. Mm-hmm. So I've been very, very lucky. Um, and, and it's been some uh, some sacrifice uh, to be able to do exactly what I want to do. But I love getting up in the morning. I love going to work. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm still waiting for that day that I have to grow up and get a real job. So, <laughs> but what, how I got started was that um, I was growing up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, a small town called Menominee. Oh yeah. And there were several uh, kids my in my neighborhood and things. But I just happened to be born. Uh, at the wrong time where all the babysitting jobs were taken by the older girls, all the lawn mowing jobs were taken by the boys, and I really didn't have any way to make a little money during the summer, so I started to walk people's dogs or take care of them while they were on vacation. Mm. Because I just have that temperament, you know, I was very young, I was riding my bicycle to the, you know, to the jobs because I couldn't drive yet, and I'd, you know, I'd have to take these huge dogs out for walks, and they'd be dragging me down the sidewalk. And so I bought a dog book, 
and I read the training oh. book, and I said, okay, now, now you're not going to drag me. So <laughs> what ended up happening is that I got quite a few clients that way because they said, oh, you have to get Cheryl. You know, when, when we come back from vacation, the dog is trained, he's healing, he's sitting, <laughs> uh, because I just had that sort of temperament. Uh, I enjoyed, you know, having a dog work. Um, and I was using, you know, methods that I could find in a reading in a book. I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought I wanted to become a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. I worked for a vet up north. I moved down here to East Lansing uh, to go to vet school at MSU. Uh, I did well in school. I, I enjoyed my classes, but the further along I got, the more I recognized that I was moving very far away from the psychology of dogs. There wasn't really much emphasis remember i came down here in 1977 Mm -hmm. there wasn't much emphasis on behavior training or psychology of the dog in fact most of our classes revolved around uh, large animals uh, Mm -hmm. the care and concern for farm animals and that sort of thing and i I just didn't feel very that 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 was going to be a good path for me Mm -hmm. so as i uh, i stayed in school but i i took what i what i call the dog trainers course I went into uh, police science to help me with uh, police canine. I took pest control to help me with my business, um, <laughs> business classes, psychology classes. I think I got a very good um, education to do uh, what I'm doing today. Mm-hmm. And so what is it? I mean, what you do today is uh, covers all kinds of things. I mean, give us a little sense of your business today. Yep, today... Um, I would, I, I split my time about, uh, about 75% of my time is, is hands-on training, but what's really great is that I, yesterday I was working with handicap assistance dogs, um, today I'm working with um, narcotics dogs, tomorrow I'm going to be tracking, um, there's so many different things that dogs are trained to do mm-hmm. that I never get bored, it's, it's never something that you know, it's repetitive to me over and over again. Each dog is a little bit different. But because I've learned so much over the years, I really get to have um, a, a wide variety of experiences and working with a wide variety of people. And I know you do a tremendous amount of work with the police, trained a lot of canine uh, dogs, and, and we're going to do a second episode because there's so much to talk about with you about sure. this. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I wanted to know, have you experienced um, any gender bias uh, in, in your field? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> uh, being a female in, in police work, uh, especially in the protection sports, and uh, uh, the protection sports are considered Schutzen. Uh, now it's called IPO, um, the French ring sport, you know, all these sports where mm-hmm. the dog um, is trained to bite a person uh, wearing a suit or a sleeve on command and then there's usually you know uh, other athletic uh, parts of that there's jumping and obedience and so on but it's uh, it's unusual to have uh, to be a female uh, especially in the role of in the role of the bad guy in the role of the decoy uh, I've um, been certified as a what they call a homme d'attaque it's it's actually man of the attack in French ring mm. um, in compound and you have to go through a very stringent physical um, evaluation, a um, oral uh, interview, and then a practical skills um, situation where 
you know, many, many people try out for it. Uh, you're ranked uh, when you come in <clears throat> or when you leave, actually, you're ranked. And um, a lot of people don't make it. And I was very lucky to uh, be one of the – I'm the only female uh, that's been um, certified in this country for Campan, which is mm-hmm. a, a French sport. Mm-hmm. But I've also been uh, licensed or um, identifiable police decoy for many years and have worked in a lot of different situations in trials where I've been um, the bad guy, uh, so to speak. Well, what would because you have so much experience and success uh, in that feeling that so many women have of being the only one, uh, what is your advice for other women who find themselves in that situation that there clearly is gender bias, but that's where you want to be working and you got to power through it? Any advice? Well, that's exactly it. Um, my father told me that I had to be better than them uh, to be able to, to be able to be equal. A woman had to be better. So it was something that uh, I took to heart. Uh, I exercised. I spent a lot of time uh, working physically so that I was strong enough uh, to do the work that's required. Um, I understood that perhaps I might not be as fast or as agile, so I really worked on other skills that would that would help me uh, be, you know, if you can't do it really strongly, do it really smartly. And then mm-hmm. understanding that even though you may may not be as good in one area, you're certainly as good in another, and to have the confidence in yourself that, yes, you can do this. A lot of times what, what holds people back, and, and honestly, I see it more in women than in men, is the idea, well, I can't do that. And mm-hmm. it comes from within. It's a, a Well, culture a tells us that. Culture exactly. tells us we can't do that. Yeah. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the and strength has to come to from within, right? Yes. Yep. And what you have to do is, is think, um, I can do this, and then do what you have to to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Well, we are going to um, continue with a second episode, but two other things I want to ask you here. Um, number one, I know that you have rehabilitated and placed countless rescue dogs. And um, what's your advice? I mean, there's a, a lot of pressure on people or encouragement of people. There's all lots of dogs that need to be rescued. Um, what's your advice to our audience on how to choose a rescue dog that's right for your lifestyle and not just because they're cute? It is so important to actually meet the dog. I hear so many stories of people adopting dogs based on a photo. Uh, and it, it's that is mind-boggling to me because you can't tell temperament by a photo. Mm-hmm. And when you're when you're looking, you have to remember that that there's skills uh, being used even in uh, rescue situations. they They present the dog in such a way that it's going to make you feel sorry for it. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a photo that look makes the dog look kind of forlorn, um, <laughs> looks, makes him look a little timid, um, makes you feel, you know, it tugs at your heartstrings. And I've seen so many people, so many well-meaning people that they, they fall in love with the dog based on these photos and based on these descriptions. And then when the dog arrives, they really have a handful, mm-hmm. and it's been uh, it's it's been very very disappointing that the people at the heart of the rescue are, you know, more interested in the placement 
rather than in having it be a good placement. Mm -hmm. Because some of these dogs would be very good if they were put with maybe a little younger family or more active family or somebody had more time. But what happens is that a lot of times when people have the money and the ability to um, to rescue, they're starting to get towards the, the middle, towards middle age to a little bit older age, and people are taking advantage of these things. And it's just, it's really too bad. Mm-hmm. Well, how can, um, how can people get in touch with you uh, if they're interested in either the training that you do or the great dogs that you breed? Oh, I have a, I have a website at www.share, C-H-E-R, car, C-A-R, kennels, K-E-N-N-E-L-S, dot com. And I'm always available for consults. I do a lot of consults, and I also do a lot of public speaking for people. <laughs> oh, the, okay. Well, um, <laughs> there's so much to talk about. Uh, in our next episode, we want to talk about um, protection. We want to get into that whole issue, uh, whether it's from dog bites and aggressive dogs or maybe personal protection, because I know you have trained and certified um, many, many, cane, over 100, I believe, canines, training the dogs and their handlers. Um, and also want to get into some of the many options there are to have a lot of fun with your dog while building your own leadership skills. So um, will you leave us, Cheryl, maybe with, you know, people are always talking about what you learn from dogs. Anything related to leadership and women's empowerment maybe that you've learned from dogs? You know, the best thing that I can tell people is that dogs really do want to have a strong leader. I feel that um, a lot of people are more concerned about being a friend to their dog than being a leader. And you would, the, the sigh of relief and contentment that you find from a dog who, who says, oh, thank God, I've got somebody who is actually a leader. They look forward to somebody who's strong like that. They want that in their lives. And when you provide that for a dog, you're not only doing yourself a favor, but you're doing the dog a favor as well. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Cheryl. And uh, have a great week, everybody. And uh, I'm, I'm Ann Doyle, so go power up. Thanks for joining us at Power Up Women. If you like this episode, Anne and I hope you will subscribe, share us with your networks, and please rate us on Apple, Google, or Spotify podcasts. Anne and I would love to hear from you through our Power Up Women Facebook group as well. And remember, when one woman rises, we all rise. So don't forget to reach back and lift others as you climb.